Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Kansas City MomCast. We are in the thick of the holidays here, which means lots of time with family. Family dynamics can be tough as it is, and then you add the pressure of the holidays. It can be a lot for anyone to manage. Whether you have a really wonderful, close relationship with your family or you tolerate them for just a few hours a couple times a year, holiday get-togethers have a way of being stressful, uh, chaotic, and sometimes straight-up uncomfortable for a lot of us. Here to help us tackle this topic today is local therapist Elizabeth Kaufman. Elizabeth is a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist and owner of Elizabeth Kaufman Therapy. She works with couples and individuals to go below the surface of day-to-day survival mode and create new patterns for their lives. Elizabeth specializes in anxiety and identity work, guiding clients to heal from unhelpful messages and wounds and live according to their values. In addition to practicing therapy, Elizabeth is an adjunct professor for a local graduate therapy program and a Kansas Behavioral Science board-approved supervisor for therapists seeking clinical licensure. In her free time, Elizabeth loves to cook, travel, and spend time with her family. She is a mom just like us. So without further ado, let's meet Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation about boundaries. Yes, I know. I know lots of people, at least in my personal life, that are looking forward to this episode and counting down the minutes till mm-hmm. it comes out. So <laughs> we're so appreciative of you and your time, especially at such a busy time of year. So thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We, there's a lot to discuss when it comes to families and the holidays and boundaries and just issues that we have. So going into the holidays, um, what are the biggest issues that you see with your clients and their families? Like what are the things that are the most common? Yeah, I think, I think that what I see in general is just a lot of kind of big picture dread and stress heading mm-hmm. into this season, particularly for moms. Um, yeah. The expectations to make the holidays feel magical for everyone tends to fall on women. Yes. Um, And I think that sometimes we have to step back and ask ourselves how the weight of everyone else and sometimes our own expectations is actually helpful. Um, And and I think sometimes this extends to, to expectations even in our own home. So, who's buying gifts and who's, um, who's making plans and, um, and, and just what that division of labor looks like even in, in, um, in marriages and partnerships. Yes. Um, and what, what is everybody's expectation? So I just, it's, it's sad because I think that when we don't ask ourselves the questions of 
you know, how everyone else's expectations is actually aligned with our own values, then we end up feeling empty and resentful, (laughs) which creates a lot of anxiety when you add whatever difficult family dynamics already might exist. Absolutely. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on that? Anything additional? (laughs) Well, when you, um, I mean, I I feel all that. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Sitting over here, nodding my head. but like, so I think my husband and I more recently, like in the last five years have gotten, I mean, I think boundaries are just talked about more. Yes. Um, yeah. And so how, when you figure out what your boundaries are, um, how do you communicate that in a way that's loving, um, but also yeah. I think effective for yourself? Yes. And assertive yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that. That's a great question, and I'm gonna maybe zoom out a little bit and just even talk like what the what, what is the goal of boundaries because it is such a big word now, which is great. I'm so happy to to hear that people are talking more and more about boundaries. But I think I think that sometimes, um, you know, if the idea of a boundary is just to protect ourselves from being or feeling uncomfortable or our children from being or feeling uncomfortable or our friends, you know, then I think that there's ways that it can become unloving or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think to me what, you know, I, I have seen and also just experienced in my own life is that boundaries are, are primarily about knowing and loving ourselves and our people well. Um, I think, you know, we've used images in the past, like, you know, boundaries are like a fence around your home or, you know, something that protects you. But I think that that idea is kind of almost this idea that other people are dangerous and we have to keep ourselves safe, which can be true, can absolutely be true. Um, but I think it really can be more helpful when we think of it as, first of all, our relationship and our integrity with ourselves. Um, And so the best way for me to figure out what my boundaries are, uh, because I think think that there are two different types of people when it comes to boundaries. I think that there are people who have kind of an immediate yes toward maybe an overextension, right? Like toward giving in a way, writing that check, you're not going to be able to cash. And then I think there are people who have more of an immediate no. Um, and all of us follow, fall somewhere probably in that spectrum. And so for me, the best way to first figure out what my boundary is as someone who has a bend probably toward that, uh, toward um, a lack, um, just a lack of boundaries mm-hmm. in my own training and um and I don't mean clinical training. I mean training from my own family system. Sure. Um, I have to ask, how am I going to feel later if I don't set a boundary now? And how can I play that out to the end? So if I if I um, say yes to hosting family over the holiday breaks, for example, yes, you can stay in my home. And you can stay there for, yes, five days. Um, how am I going to feel when they leave? And that was my break with my family. Um, and that brings so much clarity for me 
how how is that going to align with my current values and priorities? Um, and I think that's helpful because that also creates a flexibility in our boundaries um, that says, you know what, one year maybe something is okay, that next year isn't okay because it's not what what I need to value right now in this season. So that playing that to the end, how am I going to feel in my, you know, in my relationship if I buy all the gifts like I continue to do now that I realized that doesn't feel good for me anymore? Um, how am I going to feel? And that is such a good guiding light to say, if I'm going to feel resentful, empty, tired tomorrow or next week because I don't set a boundary now, then I'm not really doing anyone any favors. Um, and so that part for me is actually the most challenging piece is just getting really clear with myself first of what the what the goal of that boundary is and aligning it to my values and priorities. And if it is aligned, that's the, what I'm going to communicate. And I think a good boundary is communicated clearly and when possible in advance, because guess what? We teach people how to treat us. And when we change those rules, that can be very disorienting to the people around us who we have taught to accept maybe a lack of boundaries or certain roles or behaviors. And so I can own that and I can say, hey, you know, in the past, maybe this worked, but I just want to reorient everyone now that uh, this, I would like this to be different. It gives everybody just an opportunity or a partner or um, a grandparent or a cousin, an opportunity to reset their expectations. Yeah, it's like kind of let it, a little time to marinate and process, you know? Um, so I wrote down a quote that I saw, I don't know, on Instagram or everybody says it, but I love it. It's the only people who get upset about you setting boundaries are the ones who are benefiting from you having them. And I love exactly. that quote. I love that quote. Exactly. And I think, I think sometimes too, just as women and as moms, we just kind of get on the train of making everybody else happy. And kind of, as you were alluding to in the beginning, just trying to make everything, you know, happy and good, but then it ends up being at our own expense and then you're resentful or, and I just think that we all deserve to be happy and <laughs> enjoy things like things don't have to be awful. Um, and so I think just reminding ourselves that we have autonomy in our own decisions and what works for us. And we're the parents now. I think a lot of times, Sarah, mm -hmm. I like you and I talked about this maybe last year around the holidays mm -hmm. about how it's a weird switch going from being, I say a child. I mean, I've been an adult for a very long time, but the role of the child. role, yeah. yeah, mentally switching to. I'm now the mom with the family. Like I get to make some of these decisions and that's not like a power play. It's just the reality, just like, you know, our parents did. So it's, it's an interesting transition for sure. But um, yeah. Well, I and I think, I, I think you named it that that autonomy feels like such an important word when it comes to boundaries, because boundaries is more about how are we, taking ownership of our lives and our own locus of control. So a good boundary says, it doesn't say what other people can and can't do. It just says, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, um, that's and really it's helpful. It's an exchange of that information. Here's what you can expect 
from me. I can't change what you are going to do with that information. I can't tell you um, how to talk, how to move, how to operate. I can just tell you what my um, what I'm going to do with <laughs> with the information of your behavior. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. It's very, very good. Um, okay, so one thing, kind of just thinking back to my childhood, is I still remember, and it was probably my first exposure to boundaries. Of my grandparents lived near Chicago, and my family would drive, you know, ten hours every Christmas. You know, they'd pack up the Santa presents, and um, and I remember the year that my mom was like, hey, you know, we're not going to drive. Maybe we'll come after Christmas or we're, but we want to have that experience with, you know, our family in our own house. Um, and I think, you know, we've kind of done the same in our family of we want Christmas morning and all our traditions around that day um, to be in our own house. So if you do have traditions that are, you know, something that your family has done for years and years and years, and then you decide to make a different choice for whatever reason, how do you, um, how do you do that? How do you break away from a tradition that just doesn't work for maybe your immediate family? Yeah, I think the really common one is as folks are starting to develop their own nuclear family, like you mentioned earlier, Megan, like we're kids now we're also like parents of the kids. And so it kind of goes back to, what are the values? Um, I, our values are always such a good compass. So what are our values around um, around this morning or this day or this experience? And seeing family certainly can be a part of that, but also creating specific memories that are important to you and your partner can certainly be a value. We went through this as well as a family and we made a decision when um, my daughter was young that we wouldn't travel um, over Christmas Day because we just wanted, you know, we wanted her to have that experience of walking down the stairs, seeing presents, all of those things. So we we also made that change and felt felt really good. And I think there's a middle road there too. You know, now in my home, it's we Christmas morning is the expectation that we will be home. But if there's family either in town or um, or maybe family who doesn't have anything that they're doing, they're always welcome to join for brunch or things like that. So that's sort of been our middle ground on that day. But I think, um, I think that that can be tough to hold that both and we want family, but we also want, you know, want certain moments. And, um, and I think just notice how you feel as a parent too, when you give yourself that opportunity to have, again, just that autonomy, that agency, um, and when that feels good and that feels restful and peaceful and, and it brings contentment, you know, you're, you know, you're operating in the right space. Absolutely. So you kind of alluded to this a little bit. So this one is kind of for our people pleasers, which we have a lot, a lot of them in our gender. Um, how do we deal with family members being unhappy with our choices. And you kind of talked about that, kind of saying, this yeah. is how I'm going to operate. But can you go a little bit more into that? Of Because I do think that that's, wouldn't you say that's the primary reason of why you wouldn't change things? Because you don't want to make people unhappy or uncomfortable or, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
so tough. It's so hard. I think women particularly, and I know I'm using that word a lot, but women are particularly really taught from a young age to make people around you happy. And there's Mm -hmm. social consequences when you don't. Um, And so I think that unlearning, unlearning people pleasing is just so helpful, not just around the holidays, but Mm -hmm. in general. Um, And so one of the questions that I ask of us people pleasers, which I consider myself to be a recovering people pleaser, (laughs) um, is am I holding the discomfort so no one else has to? Mm. Yep. It's okay. I'll just absorb it. I'll be uncomfortable or be exhausted or drained or, or overextended. So no one else has to. Yeah. Yeah. And we have have situations where we would just, I think, get through it. Like, let's just get through this. It's just so depressing. It is, but I think it's common. I know. So can I kind of piggyback on that? Um, How do you, if you have people who are unhappy with the boundaries you make around a holiday or anything, um, how do you explain that to your children of maybe, Mm. you know, mom sets a boundary, we're not traveling, but let's say grandma and grandpa are upset. First Um, of all, I would hope that the kids don't know they're upset, but that's not always the case because not everybody operates the same. Right. I mean, how do you teach kids boundaries and how Mm -hmm. do you, through your example, maybe even? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think at the end of the day, how we model distress around those boundaries is, is going to be important. Um, and, and I think having conversations with children at a young age, like it's okay uh, it's okay to make other people disappointed. You know, it's okay. Sometimes we're going to let people down and that can be hard. Um, but we are also, uh, we are also responsible for knowing what we need, um, and want and value. And sometimes those two are going to clash. And how do we regulate? How do we ourselves regulate through that? You know, needing everybody to be okay with us in order for us to be okay is a form of codependency. I can't be okay if you're not okay with me. And I think helping kids understand that at a young age is so powerful, you know, so empowering um, and, and there might be, and the kids might be part of that disappointment too, right? That's, like yeah, that's I true. understand you're disappointed that we're not blah, blah, blah. That's hard. I can hold that disappointment with you. I can, I can turn toward that and acknowledge that maybe grandma and grandpa are disappointed and you're disappointed too. Um, and also I can show you that I can, like that, that both can exist. Like this can still be right and also cause maybe some discomfort for everybody. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about that, Elizabeth, I pulled up a quote um, from Glennon Doyle, Melton, you know, the disappointment yep. one. Mm-hmm. I love it. I know what you're going to say. I'm going to read it. I love it. Okay. So she said, every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. And I just think that is so powerful. And I remember the first time I heard her say that, I was like, well, that's not very nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, that was like my first gut reaction. I was like, well, that's not kind. 
Well, it actually yeah. is, you know, I think again, so much of this is just conditioning. Yeah. Um, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think like pay attention to what that looks like and even these micro interactions in your family system of either disappointing people or feeling like you need to be in a certain role for everyone else to be okay. You know, I remember a moment um, at a at a gathering and there was, um, it was a dinner and it was just, you know, all of a sudden it was quiet and there wasn't really any engagement and conversation and what of course comes up for me initially is, okay, I need to make everybody else feel comfortable and okay. So uh, do I need to, you know, I'm going to, I'll keep this, like this party going. And what I remember being able to sit with, which is, was not, which new, <laughs> that's why it was a moment was to, you, you don't have to fill that role for everybody. You, if yeah. you don't want to, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can sit and allow everyone else to feel the silence in any other adults here can jump in if they are uncomfortable. Uh-huh. You don't have to know that discomfort. So even just noticing the people pleasing in small ways of how we how that shows up for us and allowing us to maybe take a step back and say, is that what I is that actually what I want to to do? Mm-hmm. And how does that how does that also allow everyone else to not do? Mm. Boom. Everybody needs to share that with their family. (laughs) (laughs) Copy and share with those specific people. Okay, Elizabeth. um, Okay, this is kind of fun. We are doing a portion, a segment that I'm calling Dear Elizabeth, like Dear Abby. And um, we asked our um, Kansas City Mom Collective contributors to give us um, some situations around this topic that they would like some feedback from you on. So we have five scenarios, all real, that hopefully a lot of our listeners can relate to. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Dear Elizabeth, number one, my in-laws use inappropriate language and talk about very controversial topics in front of my kids. How do I handle this? Yeah. So that is tough. And I think my initial instinct is always to, um, to protect children. Um, but I think that in this place, we have to slow down and ask some questions first. Um, again, coming back to this place where we, we can't change other people and, Questions I would ask, is this something that is actively damaging to our kids or is this an opportunity for growth and deeper conversations about maybe our family values or even their values? Um, and that might be you know, different based on the age and development of the child involved. So for example, you might be able to say to your nine-year-old, you know, that language that grandma chooses to use is not language I choose to use. And here's why. Um, and I'm wondering what you think about it. Like, what do you think? How do you feel when 
grandma says X, Y, Z. Um, but that's maybe not a conversation you're going to have with a three-year-old, right? So some of those pieces come into play or, or that viewpoint of grandpa's is not a view I share for X, Y, Z reasons. What do you think about that? Um, but I want to say too, you know, a family member whose language or behavior is exposing a child to something that they're not developmentally ready for or is morally wrong, um, like sexual jokes or racist or homophobic viewpoints is something that I believe should be addressed firmly and directly. And if that behavior continues, then the boundary needs to be even stronger with the understanding that adhering to it is a requisite for time with your children. Um, it might be a situation that requires supervision around those family members. Um, but I, I always go back to the idea that at the end of the day, we are raising children to leave us. And so how are we preparing them for that? Family is just often our primary learning ground on how to deal with people and sometimes uh, even difficult, often difficult people, um, often difficult people. But there's a difference between learning how to deal with someone difficult as a child in something that is actively traumatic or injurious. And that takes some discernment. So I just really caution, um, I caution parents to put a kibosh too quickly without kind of going through those things. But if it is one of those um, moments that you do feel like is injurious, um, what do you need to do around that? You know, we had a situation um, with with a, with a, my daughter, not, not too long ago at 10, and something was said to her that was, you know, hurt, hurtful by an older family member and um, not thoughtful. And, you know, she came and shared that with me. And um, I, I kind of played out some scenarios of what do you need from me around this? Do you want me to say something? And you know what she ended up deciding is she wanted to address it and, uh, and wanted me to be there. But what ended up um. happening she addressed it on her own without me there. And as much as I don't want my child to ever hear or have injurious moments from family members, that was that that was the most powerful and still kind of safe way for her to experience saying, this is not okay for me. Yeah. And experience a family member who was able to turn toward that and say, I'm so sorry. That was not okay. And so again, I just, I really, I want to make sure as parents too, we're creating opportunities for children to learn what their values are and how to address their own boundaries when, when it is appropriate for them. Definitely. That's so good. Thank you. Okay. Situation number two, dear Elizabeth, how do I explain to my family that we want to establish our own Christmas morning traditions in our home and might not fit the rest of the extended family schedule? And we talked about this a little bit, but any other thoughts with that? Yeah, I think that, I think that the conversation before just is, you know, I just echo, make sure you're communicating and 
and discussing changes well in advance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, as, as some people pleasers manage people pleasing by avoiding until the last minute. And that's never going to go well because I'm so afraid of the conflict. I'm so afraid of what you're going to say or hurting you that I wait until the last minute. And now it's like a double hit, you know, now, now it's a little Mm -hmm. bit like more loaded. And so making sure you're communicating that in advance. And then once again, you know, being okay with, with potential disappointment. Definitely. That's good. Okay. Number three, dear Elizabeth, how do I deal with family members that won't accept my child's pronouns or identity? This is a big one. Yeah. So this, this kind of takes me back to what I mentioned earlier about the distinction between uh, a family's behavior that might be challenging and opportunity, an opportunity for growth versus something that is injurious and traumatizing and not having your identity acknowledged by those who are supposed to love and support you the most mm-hmm. is extremely harmful. Um, we have statistics that show there's a strong correlation between you know LGBTQ plus youth whose families are unaffirming and suicide. Um, the stakes here are just too high. So what I would say is, first of all, just operating from that space and that assumption that it is traumatic, it is injurious. You cannot tell someone that you um, that you love them, but you don't accept who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so invi- if you're the parent, you can invite family members to educate themselves on the importance of affirming pronouns. There's no shortage of information or organizations that can inform and support family members who want to better understand. Uh, But at the end of the day, your job as the parent is to support your child. And so making sure you're not in the place where you are the educator, you are the, the bridge, um, that that's not your heavy lifting to do outside of that work in your own life as a parent. Um, And so that if, if, if family chooses not to do so, not to educate themselves, not to move toward those, then they're likely not safe people to, to keep in your child's life. Definitely. That's good. Okay. Number four, dear Elizabeth, if there has been a conflict, how do you approach future gatherings? Act like nothing's happened, prepare yourself for another conflict, etc. That gives me anxiety even reading that question. <laughs> like that yeah, feeling of like I, the last time you were with somebody, there was something, mm-hmm. you know, bad that happened and now you're going to see them again and maybe you haven't seen them in a while, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a really, really tough one. And I think it involves sort of knowing the players involved, their past behaviors and what is possible going forward. So when I have someone who's thinking about, do I address something or not? Um, there's kind of two rules that I use um, to help discern whether or not this is something that needs to be said. Um, one is, am I, am I hoping, do I believe that me telling you this hurt me or this hurt us? Do I believe that you're, that will change your behavior? You know, will you be impacted by that? And 
often, you know, at this point, most of us know our family members well enough to know who, who will take ownership for their behavior and who won't. Um, looking at patterns of behavior in that person's life or those people's life, uh, it, how do they move through conflict? Are they someone who's going to just avoid? And if so, then then there that's the then the expectation is then are you going to avoid it? And if if it feels like I think that there could be repair um, because we could both come to the table and say what we're you know what we are needing differently, then that can be helpful to address. Um, before you know, hopefully before the holiday, not necessarily like when you're opening presents. Um, <laughs> uh, but sometimes, sometimes we know that it's not going to change, right? Like we know that there are ingrained dynamics, particularly maybe in family systems um, as a whole, that are outside of our locus of control and. Um, and we have to, you know, we have to like, you know, they say that, that quote, like believe people when they show you who they are going, this is how they operate. So does not saying something, does that dishonor me and my values? How do I feel about that? Am I going to be holding this silence, like to a detriment to myself, um, even though I know saying something and saying this was not okay might not affect change. Yes. You just have to be willing to accept whatever the outcome is. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes when the answer to no to both of those is no, that usually tells me that the energy it takes to have those conversations or maybe address that conflict. You know, I use that, that quote, like that, is it, is it pearls before swine? And I'm not calling anyone pigs here, but is, is having that conversation, giving something of value to yourself that is just going to leave you more drained, emptied and unheard. Um, and if that's the case, how can you focus on what's in your locus of control? Um, and that might be even having a conversation. Sometimes it's a partner who needs to have a conversation with their side of the family. I always kind of tell people like, get your own families in line. Like if it's your, if it's your direct family, like you are responsible for that communication. Uh-huh. Um, and if it's not, then, you know, usually that tend then, then having that person be responsible for communication with their family but that doesn't that's not hard and fast um those aren't hard and fast rules i don't know elizabeth i I like that rule yeah well it it tends to be it tends to bring a little safety to conflict (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh okay last one um okay in general in closing if there is one thing you could tell moms to remember as they navigate in-law relationships I just botched that question makes sense to make sense okay because you're thinking about your in-laws yeah holidays or not yes true what is one thing you would tell us to remember yeah I think that you know even piggybacking off of conflict right off of if there's if you know that there's conflict or that there's maybe difficulty in the dynamics 
Um, I always recommend doing some mental pre-work before you're going to be with that person or those people, almost like role-playing it out. Because we know at this point who our people are, right? We know the people who are going to show up 30 minutes late or be overly controlling or not helpful at all. Or, you know, we know those things ahead of time. And yet we find ourselves in these patterns where we're reactive to it. Like it's the first time every time. And so for me, for me, what's helpful is kind of just noticing, you know, okay, here's the thing. It might not be, it, it might not all be okay. This is what, if, if this happens this way, I'm ready for that. Like, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to let my emotions be reactive to other people's behaviors um, when it's, it's familiar. It's the same. So what do I need to do to maybe release my own anxiety? So one thing I used to do in, in my life, not, you know, just, I would say probably in general, but especially in relationships that felt maybe more challenging is I would be like, well, okay, if everything looks beautiful and there's plenty of food and somebody has an appetizer the moment they walk in the door and all of these things are like, okay, good, then everybody will behave and be nice. (laughs) If you build it, they will come. And guess what? (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) Shocking. It's not true. So I want to notice, okay, these are the things that I'm doing to try to manage my own anxiety around other people's behaviors. And I don't want to operate from that space. I just want to know, okay, yep, this is, so-and-so is going to be 30 minutes late. This person's going to talk about themselves. That person's going to maybe be a little rude. I'm going to be prepared emotionally and mentally that that's what's going to happen. And I don't have to be pulled into my reactivity toward it. I can just kind of preset that mentally and also know what I'm doing to try to manage that. So like, if I'm anxiously making appetizers so that everyone will be nice, I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm setting myself up for disappointment. And it's such a, you know, it's such a like hamster wheel. And so I can say, I'm getting off the hamster wheel. I'm not going to try to make it. Uh, there's there's this like Desperate Housewives um, episode, which is very highbrow clinical work. Um, <laughs> where. In where one of one of the New York housewives sets up this beautiful um, Christmas dinner in in her home, and all the women lose it, and they're throwing things. And her <laughs> phrase is, "She gets so upset, and she just goes, I made it nice. I made it nice.' And I think we as women can do that, right? We think if I yeah. make it nice to everybody, then people will be nice and they'll behave." Mm. Or if I try to smooth it out or do this or that, but we're not, we have no control over anyone else's behavior. So I would just say, see it for what it is, do your pre-work and then self-care the heck out of those interactions. Do something before that's relaxing. Know what you're doing after that's relaxing. If it's particularly stressful dynamics, set everyone up for success. Don't give the mother-in-law who's late 
you know, a give her dessert to bring. Don't give her something that's going to put everybody else eating late. And then know what you're going to do when people cross those boundaries. What am I going to do? Am I going to give myself permission to walk out of the room? Am I going to say, we're going to eat even though you're late? You know, just really role playing out. How am I going to still hold firm to my boundaries so that I am not in a place of being, um, of having to be reactive to other people's choices. That's so good. So, so, so good. Sarah, do you have anything? I always get my hair cut before. Oh, Sarah gets her hair cut before. before. That's my self-care before. I love that. Because yep. it makes me feel confident. Yep. handle anything if your hair yep. looks, you know, decent. That's right. So, you know, twice a year That's I get my hair cut. I'm actually, yes. yes. Okay. Yep. That's what I do. It's a good tip. Yeah. I did the same thing whenever I used to travel and, you know, I have, I have wonderful in-laws, but still I would, I would, the first thing I would do would be to set an appointment at a local salon and that's what I would do first. Um, and it felt really initially selfish, but when I realized, you know, this is giving me this, just this second and this chance to feel like I have a moment that mm-hmm. pause and, and take care of myself. And I think that that is a good, a good boundary says I I'm going to do what I need to do to be in a good space to be as loving as possible, to be as kind as possible. That's really good. Elizabeth, thank you so much. One of our contributors asked if this could be a series. <laughs> <laughs> I think it totally, I could, it totally could be. Elizabeth, anyway, thank you anyway. so much for your time. We appreciate you. Yes. Happy holidays. <laughs> Thanks, ladies. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, completely switching gears here. Um, What is the thing that you are loving in Kansas City right now you would like to share with the group? So one of our... um favorite things to sign up for like workshops or even a class is at We Create Studio, which is a art studio in Mission, mm-hmm. Sentinel and like Shawnee Mission or Johnson Drive, I guess. Um, but it's run by a local mom and it's fabulous. It's not just like a little craft. Um, it's, you know, real art. They learn about art, they learn techniques, um, but it's still fun and accessible for all ages. So we did a like Christmas gift making workshop there, but they are just starting off their um, classes for next year. And so you can do like an after school um, class and they have different age groups. So we love it there. We went to a birthday party there a long time ago and it was mind blowing. Yeah, they do amazing. Like the coolest summer camps birthday. Too. Oh yeah, and summer camps. Yeah, we did a doll and me one. Oh, that's right. Uh, just the cutest. Oh, so my cool. Gosh. That's so fun. Um, okay, my favorite thing in Kansas City right now. You all know that I love to thrift. I'm a big thrifter. Um, if you are a thrifter as well, you've probably noticed that prices at thrift stores. I don't know why are going through the roof. Um, and some places it's like, well, you might as well just shop sales online. Um, one thrift store in particular that I feel like, um, has great prices and good selection. Now, granted, don't come at me. If you go there, you don't find Mm -hmm. anything because that's just part of it. It's part of the the treasure hunt is turnstiles thrift, um, which is a part of the Catholic charities, um, organization. 
the one that I typically go to is in, I think it's Lenexa, Overland Park or Lenexa off 87th Street. Um, they always have a certain tag that's 50% off and they've got a kid's section. Um, the last time I was there, which was a few weeks ago, I got a, they were not a new in box, but they were basically new pair of Ugg boots for $7. Wow. Yep. For yourself or your kids? For myself. All right. I know. I know. Um, and I've just found some awesome stuff there. I've been picking up American Girl doll books for my daughter. Um, she's really into reading those. Their books are really um, well-priced, and it's not a huge store, so you can kind of get through it quickly. And then they also have a couple other locations. The other one closer is um, off 135th in Overland Park. So Turnstiles Thrift is a good one to check out. All right. All right, friends, we are so appreciative as always of your time and for you joining us today. And we hope you got some good takeaways um, during this holiday season and not just for this month, but going forward in general. So thanks so much. And we will see you next time. Thanks. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.